Trump loyalty rewards, getting you more than a free continental breakfast these days. The lead starts right now. Breaking news, the post-acquittal purge hitting a new gear as the White House tells cabinet officials they need to start sniffing out anyone who might be disloyal to President Trump in their ranks. Going for broke, Democratic candidates burning through cash, trying to keep up with a surging Bernie Sanders and a billionaire with a bottomless bank account with just hours until a critical election battle, plus Taliban truce. The Trump administration announcing the first step toward a peace deal in Afghanistan. If no bombs go off for seven days, might we finally be on the road to peace? This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we begin with breaking news. President Trump's purge, the latest chapter in President Trump's post-acquittal presidency, in which he seems quite focused on punishing his perceived enemies and rewarding loyalists. Breaking today, sources telling CNN that President Trump's new personnel chief, John McEntee, told cabinet officials that his office wants them to report to him appointees in their agencies and departments who might be seen as disloyal to President Trump and his agenda. McEntee, you might recall, was among the Trump loyalists brought back to the White House during this post-acquittal vengeance tour. And as CNN's Caitlin Collins reports, McEntee yesterday told cabinet officials that they should be preparing to name names. Today, the White House is making another effort at a post-impeachment purge. Johnny McEntee is the president's former body man who was marched out of the White House for a clearance issue two years ago, but now runs the personnel office in the West Wing. And he's on the lookout for staffers seen as disloyal to Trump. During a meeting with liaisons from cabinet agencies first reported by Axios, McEntee asked them to identify political appointees who may be against the president's agenda, warning that changes may be made. McEntee is expected to focus on the state and defense departments, both at the center of Trump's impeachment. And it comes after Trump fired Lieutenant Colonel Alex Vindman and Ambassador to the EU Gordon Sundland, who were both key impeachment witnesses. But because he's in charge of political appointees, McEntee won't have firing power over career officials who are typically dealt with at the agency level. This comes after the president named a loyal supporter the new acting director of national intelligence this week. He pushed Joseph McGuire out of the job after intelligence officials warned lawmakers that Russia is at it again, interfering in the 2020 election, which angered the president who found out about the briefing later. Today, the president dismissed their findings as another misinformation campaign being launched by Democrats, despite that information coming from his own officials. Trump has now replaced McGuire with his ambassador to Germany, Rick Grinnell, who is a vocal supporter with little intelligence experience. Grinnell's only expected to remain in the position temporarily, and Trump says he's considering naming Congressman Doug Collins as a permanent successor, but Collins says he's not interested. But this is not a job that, that interests me at this time. It's not one that I would accept because I'm running a Senate race down here in Georgia. Floating Collins for the job was widely seen as a way for the president to avoid choosing sides in a heated Georgia Republican Senate primary. With Collins out of the running, Trump now says he has four great candidates under consideration, but he declined to name them. Now, Jake, as that search is still ongoing, the president is speaking at a rally in Las Vegas talking about this intelligence 
that shows Russia is trying to interfere in the 2020 election. But Jake, he's describing it as Democrats coming up with another witch hunt, though we should note this information and this intelligence that was shared with lawmakers and the president is coming from his own officials. That's right, coming from the office of the director of national intelligence. Caitlin Collins, thanks so much. Um, So let's chat about this. The president has always valued loyalty, or to be precise, loyalty to him. Uh, not necessarily a two-way street. It seems like he's really been emboldened by this acquittal when you look at just the vast array of people that have been fired, uh, the people that have been rewarded, and now uh, Joe McGuire, Admiral McGuire, the latest to... uh to fall on the wrong side of that fence. Yeah, absolutely. This is President Trump uh, seemingly feeling very freed. And one thing to remember is that when uh, uh, when the president's previous chiefs of staff were in the job, uh, uh, John um, uh, John Kelly, Kelly used yeah. to say often to President Trump, "Don't do this, or you will get impeached." Well, he was impeached. That threat is now no longer operative here. And so President Trump believes he can feel he can do whatever he wants. And he's always been very paranoid, particularly about his staff. Uh, he's always actually had a, a, a loyalty litmus test, frankly, for a lot of political appointees. They haven't always been able to stick with it because it's been difficult to find candidates for a lot of these government jobs who have a squeaky clean record of not criticizing Trump. But now I think he feels like he has no choice but to uh, not just have a litmus test for people coming in, but to get the people out who he thinks are disloyal to him, I think this is a new a new phase for Trump, a new era in his administration. And I think it's only going to escalate as we go forward and as we go toward uh, the November election, where yeah. he's it's a signaling tactic also to his supporters that he's fighting back, which is something they love to see. And John Kelly oversaw when McEntee was shown the door over security concerns. I think he had some gambling issues or something like that. Now he's back in this post impeachment, uh, post acquittal purge. Uh, and McEntee telling cabinet officials to root out disloyalists among their ranks. I've never heard of anything like that, not, not since the 50s anyway. Uh, it's remarkable. And as we've seen time and again with President Trump, you are either with him or you're against him. That's at least the lens through which he views his administration. And, you know, time and again, he has sought to cast anyone who criticizes him or disagrees with him or even someone who tells him something he doesn't want to hear as disloyal or a traitor. You know, he claimed without evidence that the uh, special counsel investigators are a bunch of angry Democrats. The career officials who testified in the impeachment inquiry, they were never Trumpers, as he said. So I think that all that not true, all that not true. (laughs) But then, you know, part of that was his calculus to try and erode trust in the institution so that he could convince the public that all these investigations were simply a hoax or a witch hunt. Now, because he is emboldened by his acquittal, I think this pattern is even more concerning because if he does, in fact, just surround himself with yes men, then there will be a very real question moving forward of how you can really trust anything that comes out of this administration. And and Nayara, you worked in the Obama administration. Um, What might uh, something like this, might might, might effect might this have on, on the political appointees who have just been told or have heard either from their bosses or from our reporting or Axios, which broke the story, have been told uh, that, you know, if you're disloyal to the president, you know, watch out because we're going to name names and tell it to the director of personnel. When you're a political appointee, there's always a certain expectation that you serve at the discretion of the president. And the president has every right to want people in his inner circle who he trusts and can advise him. The challenge is that Trump's definition of loyalty goes well beyond anything that has to do with national security, the integrity of the country, or, or what's good for the country. He is 
literally incapable of separating um, rule of law uh, from what is rule of Trump. And that, that's where this becomes a challenge, because it not only affects the people who should be, have expertise, who are serving the presidency, um, it also affects uh, broad swaths of the civil service. He's effectively gutted the State Department. He's um, gutted the intel services. And now, you know, with the firing of uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, um, he's, you know, chilling any type of dissent Vindman, in the military. Sondland. Mm-hmm. The, the guy Root from the Pentagon, who internally was pushing. Vindman's uh, brother, right? Like, you can't right. even have the same last name as somebody as he doesn't like anymore. So people are not going to be able to serve their country in a way they used to. And this is going to have implications well beyond a Trump administration because the building and the work of American national security is not able to happen with, you know, with transparency. And, Bill, I was struck by something. Alex Ward, who's a national security reporter with Vox, um, tweeted uh, about the, the firing of McGuire, and I think there are a lot of questions. I personally, once he stood up for the integrity of the whistleblower, I didn't think McGuire had long in that job, wasn't going to be long for that job. But then the question is about this intelligence committee briefing where somebody in McGuire's office uh, apparently said uh, that the Russians had a preference for Trump, and there's questions about what intelligence is that based on. We'll get to that in a bit in the show. But Alex Ward wrote this on Twitter, quote, I asked a senior White House official if Trump really removed McGuire over the Russian briefing. The official didn't mince words. That's absolutely why the official said anyone from here on out that opposes the president will get fired. That bad, I asked. Yup, official said. He's not effing around. Just because there was a briefing that in which something was said that the president didn't like. Yeah, and I'm struck equally by the firing of Admiral McGuire and bringing in Rick Grinnell, a very political Trump supporter who had been on Fox News and so forth. And here, Abby mentioned the election. There's a practical implication here, beyond bad implications for national security longer term, beyond what it tells us about Trump psychologically. He's got a re-election. He really, really, really wants to be re-elected. He's going to ask, in my judgment, and we've seen this already, obviously, various elements of the federal government to do things to help him politically. And some of those things are going to be borderline. There's always a little of that in re-election campaigns, right? You schedule your, you know, economic good news for a certain state in you know, October. and that's, But he, I mean... You're talking we, about like investigations into its rivals. I'm talking about investigations like into rivals. I'm talking about not being clear about what's happening with Russian interference in the election. That's the more particular thing in this. I'm talking about asking people in agencies to make sure the money floods into key parts, key states and key parts of states and accelerating certain spending. And, you know, there's a lot you can do as president. Nixon did more of this probably than most have. But even there, it was tiny compared to what you can do if you really are, have intimidated the political appointees and some maybe of the career people, and replace any political appointee who is serving loyally by the normal definition of loyal, but isn't just simply there to help you do whatever you want to do, whatever you think is right for your own reelection. Again, that's the most striking thing about Ukraine, right? It was his personal political agenda. And if you stood in the way of that, you're gone. And are there people who will stand in the way of it the way there were people who stood in the way of it six months ago? I don't have an answer to that question. It seems like he's removing a lot of the people from his uh, inner circle or outer circle even uh, who might be willing to do so. Everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about. What is Russia actually doing to interfere with the U.S. election 2020? We'll have the latest intelligence next. Then Senator Bernie Sanders, progressive supporters are not the only ones hoping that he wins the Democratic nomination, or at least according to Republicans, that's what they're saying. Why some Republicans hope so, too. Stay with us. And we're back with the politics lead, an alarming warning from the intelligence community to bipartisan members of Congress on the Intelligence Committee. Russia is yet again attempting to interfere in the U.S. presidential election, and the U.S. government must do more to stop it. As CNN's Alex Marquardt reports. 
a classified briefing behind closed doors exploding into the open and causing the president to clean house at the highest ranks of his intelligence community cyber threats. Shelby Pearson, the top intelligence official on election security, telling House Intelligence Committee members twice in a briefing last week that Russia is working in favor of President Donald Trump's re-election and that they have every intention of meddling again in 2020. Members of the intelligence community have uniformly said that the Russians are planning to interfere in our 2020 elections. The intelligence community assessed with high confidence after the 2016 election that the Russian government aspired to help President-elect Trump's election chances. They're at it again, the intelligence briefer said, but she didn't reveal the actual intelligence on Russia, instead offering just the assessment. That angered committee Republicans, many of them allies of the president. A Trump administration national security official also pushed back, telling CNN it's more that the Russians view Trump as someone they can work with because they see him as a dealmaker. When Devin Nunes, the ranking member on the House Intelligence Committee, told the president about the briefing, he was angry. If you're going to talk about the president to Congress, you've got to give him a heads up. It's very sensitive. It's a question of dysfunction in the White House that that message wasn't transmitted to the White House in time. The president then lit into his acting director of national intelligence, Joseph McGuire. It's happening again, the president said, according to a source, meaning that Democrats like Chairman Adam Schiff, who was in the briefing, would use the information against the president. Less than a week later, McGuire is out. And so is his number two. Taking over as acting DNI temporarily is the U.S. ambassador to Germany, Rick Grinnell, a staunch Trump loyalist with no experience in intelligence matters. Meddling. Democrats blasting the choice as evidence that the president values loyalty above objective intelligence and is risking national security. I think what we're seeing more and more is the intelligence community is becoming a propaganda arm of the White House. As November approaches, intelligence officials are sounding the alarm about Russia's continuing and evolving tactics. A source familiar with Pearson's briefing said she told lawmakers that Russia will hack, they'll weaponize social media and attack the election infrastructure of the United States, which will fuel chaos and questions about the integrity of the election process. One new tactic the Russians will use, according to The New York Times, is working from servers inside the United States rather than abroad to hinder U.S. intelligence agencies who are prohibited from working domestically. It shouldn't have come as a shock to anybody uh, that the Russians are going to continue to do what they did in 2016, given the success they enjoyed. And Jake, just moments ago, we learned that Joseph McGuire has resigned from the government officially. Right after that, his number two, Andrew Hallman, also putting out a statement that he's leaving, saying that he does have confidence in the stability of the intelligence community, which he says will guide them through the uncertainties that come with change. Jake. All right, Alex Marquardt, thanks so much. Joining me now is a member of the House Intelligence Committee, Republican Congressman uh, Brad Wenstrup of Ohio. He was at the briefing on Capitol Hill. Congressman, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, let me start with just the, the bigger, most important question here. Is the U.S. government doing enough to prepare for all of the Russian election interference that is expected and that, in fact, is already going on? Well, you know, you always wonder if you're doing all that you possibly can, but I think that we have taken quite a few steps, especially since 2016. And if you look at the results or the, the report that we came out, at least on the Republican side, from the Intelligence Committee, 
uh, after the investigation on foreign influence, we had a lot of findings and made a lot of recommendations. And it's about seven pages between the findings and recommendations. And a lot of those are, are being enacted. And I think that we're, we are taking the steps as, as best we possibly can. People recognize it's a problem because, quite honestly, it's been a problem since the Soviet Union. Russia has always t tried to provide discord or create discord within our country. Uh, they've been very successful at that, I'm afraid, especially currently. Mm -hmm. uh, that they, They've been able to do that, or we've done it to ourselves in some cases. So, yeah, I do think we're doing a lot, and I think pe the American people are aware that there's this attempt to try and create discord amongst the American people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I work every day to try and bring us back together and realize what our common enemy is in America. So let's talk about the briefing last week, because there's a lot of controversy about it. And I've been told that a lot of uh, individuals at the briefing uh, were surprised when the briefer said uh, that the Russians had a clear preference for President Trump. Some people say that the intelligence is not there. Democrats and Republicans all agreed they wanted to see uh, the underlying intelligence underneath that. But just to take a step back, Putin did interfere in the 2016 election, uh, and the conclusion of the intelligence community was that he did so to help President Trump and to hurt Hillary Clinton. He has subsequently admitted that he preferred Trump to Hillary Clinton. Why would you be so skeptical this time? Well, first of all, I'm not going to talk about anything that happened in a classified setting. I'm sorry that some people uh, tend to want to do that, I guess. But uh, maybe it's my military background because loose lips sink ships, and I'm not going to comment on any of that. But just as an, an informed observer, which a lot of Americans are, certainly a lot of your viewers are, I just, I just would sit back and say I just don't understand why Putin would want to prefer Trump. And, and let me just give you the reasons why. I mean, one, Trump has put more sanctions on Russia than we have before. He has increased our military. Why? Because of the threat of Russia. He has strengthened NATO. Why? Because of the threat of Russia. That's really why NATO was formed, the Soviet Union and, and Russia. He's trying to impede as best he can the Nord Stream 2, which is their energy supply to, to Europe, mm -hmm. where they make a lot of money, and that feeds their government and their, their country. And we want to get our energy into Europe. And so I, I, it seems to me that the president is working against against Putin more and more often. Right. And, you know, if you look back, it was President Obama who told Medvedev, hey, I'll have more flexibility after my, my right. election. Dealing with missile defense. It was President defense. Trump yeah. who gave the Ukrainians uh, lethal aid. And it was it was President Obama who did not give them lethal right. aid. Now, I, I understand Obama's not running for president. Right. But it just doesn't seem to make sense to me that that would be their preference based on what I'm seeing and what I think most American people can see. So, so I appreciate the argument. We've heard that argument before. You say he strengthened uh, NATO. He certainly has strengthened NATO in terms of getting countries to uh, spend more on their own defense, according to uh, agreements in NATO. But many people would argue uh, that he has undermined the NATO alliance in some ways, especially uh, in how he's criticized various allies and, and praised Putin. Uh, in addition, critics might say President Trump has spread this conspiracy theory that it was Ukraine, not Russia, that interfered in the 2016 election, which is not true, as you know. He, he stood next to Putin in Helsinki. He said he backed Putin over <laughs> no, U.S. Minute, intelligence. As I know. Yeah. Listen, it could... Well, you agree that it was the country that can interfere with our elections. And that has been established. But but go on. And I want, I want to just take it a step further. I was just in Munich at, at the security conference there. Mm -hmm. And we spoke to the leader of NATO 
And he has talked about how the president's influence has had a great effect on NATO, making it stronger. Now, you may not like the, some of the things that he said and how he went about it, but it has had a positive effect. And virtually every president in my lifetime has said that other countries need to pay their fair share. They just haven't done much about it. So I would disagree with you on that point, and that would, that would be coming from the head of NATO himself. So, but I guess, I guess uh, the I argument is, take, I hear what you're saying. I have disagreement I'm, with you on that one, Jake. Well, I... I I mean, I think we agree that it's good that other countries are paying more than fair, their fair share, uh, are paying their fair share, rather, and that President Trump had a lot to do with that. But the question about uh, whether or not he's good for the alliance is, is what a lot of critics are talking about. But the, the, the other picture, though, the other big question is President Trump is a major disruptor. I think you and I can agree on that. Uh, and one of the results of that, and this you might disagree with, is that he sows mistrust in a lot of American institutions, whether it's the media, whether it's the judiciary, uh, whether it's law enforcement. And he backed and Putin backed Trump last time. So I, I guess I don't understand why is it not conceivable to you that potentially they will back him again when it comes to this election interference? Well, again, you know, the, the people want to say that so definitively. And certainly it was the conclusion of some that that Putin backed Trump. And I don't know that I've ever heard Putin say that. But I will say that he's had success in sowing discord, and that's what he wants. And as far as agencies, I don't think you have to look much further than what took place in the FISA court. And we've only heard the beginning of that from the inspector general uh, for him to have distrust in some of these agencies because of the way they conducted themselves in the FISA court. And, you know, 17 errors and omissions. Well, that's a pretty polite way of saying intentional deceit in my mind, at least what I've seen. And hopefully America will get to see more that took place. So I think this president has a right to have some concerns about what's taking place within agencies. And more of that should come to light in the coming days. So that's all the time we have. I'm going to go on Twitter and I'm going to put up Putin okay. explaining how he supported President Trump over Hillary Clinton and why. Because I think he said it in Helsinki, but we don't have enough time and I don't have the clip available. Congressman Brad Weinstrup of Ohio, we always appreciate your coming on. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate it. We've got breaking news. Michael Bloomberg just responded to Elizabeth Warren's demand from the debate. We'll bring that to you next day. Breaking news. New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg has just announced that he will allow women to be released from their non-disclosure agreements with his company if they want. Bloomberg says that they have identified three such NDAs. And he says that he's done a lot of reflecting and has decided going forward his company won't offer confidentiality agreements to resolve claims of sexual misconduct. This, of course, comes after Senator Elizabeth Warren called out Bloomberg at this week's debate for his use, his use of nondisclosure agreements. More than three of them, we should note. Uh, let's, uh, let's discuss this, uh, and I'll start with you. Uh, is this going to be good enough, I suspect? For Elizabeth Warren, it will not if there are three NDAs that he's allowing. Well, I think it really shows, first and foremost, the impact of Senator Elizabeth Warren's attacks on Mayor Bloomberg during this week's Democratic debate with respect to his initial refusal uh, to release these women from the NDAs. And I think the broader point that not just Senator Warren, but some of uh, Mayor Bloomberg's other Democratic rivals were trying to make is when it comes to taking on President Trump, uh, at the top of the ticket, they feel that if it's someone like Bloomberg, who has come under scrutiny for prior comments about women, who has faced certain discrimination lawsuits at his company, they'll undercut their ability to go after President Trump 
over those very same issues. And so I don't think that simply releasing them from the NDAs will take away yeah. scrutiny over his record. And Alexander, I want you to take a listen here at the CNN town hall last night with Senator Elizabeth Warren. She went a step further uh, with her demand for Bloomberg releasing women from their NDAs. Take a listen. I used to teach contract law, and I thought I would make this easy. <laughs> I wrote up a release and covenant not to sue And all that Mayor Bloomberg has to do is download it, I'll text it, (laughs) sign it, and then the women or men will be free to speak and tell their own stories. I think that the mayor should sign this and that we all have a right to see. Now, that's obviously not what he's done, although we're told he's identified three such NDAs that he's willing to, to, to waive. Yeah, I mean, I don't I think cherry picking is a really bad look when we're talking about uh, I think what is it over 40 women have complained about 40 people, but 40, em- yeah, employment pe- problems, yeah. employment problems or pregnancy discrimination, what have it. But that's not the only thing here. As recently as 2018, he was supporting Republican House members getting elected as recent as 2016. He was uh, helping Republicans get to the Senate. And so I think that there is a huge problem and ultimately speaks to the broader point that you were making about if we want to defeat Donald Trump as Democrats, we have to be able to take the moral high ground. We have to be able to uh, bring out the best in Democrats and uh, not draw the biggest contrast, which is not a billionaire uh, that kind of switches party, whatever it's convenient. And we also have some more breaking news, which is that the Washington Post is breaking uh, and the Bernie Sanders campaign is confirming uh, that he has been briefed on the fact that the Russian government is apparently attempting to help his campaign in election interference. Uh, One quick quote from Bernie Sanders' campaign is, unlike Donald Trump, I do not consider Vladimir Putin a good friend. He is an autocratic thug who is attempting to destroy democracy and crush dissent in Russia. Let's be clear, the Russians want to undermine American democracy by dividing us up. And unlike the current president, I stand firmly against their efforts and any other foreign power that wants to interfere in our election. Bill? Yeah, and the Mueller report had quite a lot, actually, about Russia's interference in 2016 and trying to whip up Sanders supporters against Hillary Clinton, both in the primary and I think even onto the, into the general election. So the, and some of that might have worked. There were some Sanders-Trump voters and some Sanders voters stay at home. I mean, I'm just on the Bloomberg thing for a minute. Yeah. Um, it's unclear to me how many he's releasing, whether he'll it's release It's three every, NDAs. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's three women or three or, or whether three people, or. he will release others if they wish to come forward. I will say this. Bloomberg is not a very good... Well, I hate NDAs, incidentally, and I really wish the whole law changed on that. I refused to sign one when, when our owners closed the weekly standard and gave up a little bit of income as a result, severance as a result. And it, it's just it's a terrible... I mean, really, when you think it's been so now abused as a matter, it's bad for the country. Leaving that aside... Um, Bloomberg's not a very good candidate. He has a pretty good campaign. I mean, they move pretty quickly, if you think about it. If this, and people can still say, well, he did this, and it's not admirable what he did. But he, is, he can now say, I, look, I came under pressure. I rethought it. I released the people. What about Donald Trump? You haven't released anyone. So I think I'm sort of impressed by the, despite that pretty miserable debate performance Wednesday night, I think the Bloomberg campaign is adjusting to what happened pretty quickly. I think it's important to remember that he has also spent $464 million so far and is definitely going to be spending hundreds of millions yeah. more to erase people's uh, remembering keep- the debate performance. <laughs> yeah. We're going to keep talking about this. We're going to squeeze in a quick break. We'll be right back. Bernie Sanders just released a statement on alleged Russian interference after a new report from The Washington Post. The U.S. officials have informed the senator that Russia is attempting to help his presidential campaign as part of their efforts 
to interfere with the Democratic primary. Sanders saying in part, quote, the Russians want to undermine American democracy by dividing us up. And unlike the current president, I stand firmly against their efforts and any other foreign power that wants to interfere in our election. I don't care, frankly, who Putin wants to be president. My message to Putin is clear. Stay out of American elections. And as president, I will make sure that you do, unquote. The Post also reporting that President Trump and lawmakers on Capitol Hill has, have also uh, been briefed on this. And that is quite a different statement from what President Trump or then candidate Trump said when they were briefed about similar things. Yeah, it's very clear that Bernie Sanders acknowledges that this is a real thing, that it's happening and that it's actually affecting his campaign now like it did in 2016. But there's another part of the statement where he says uh, that some of the ugly stuff on the Internet attributed to our campaign may well not be coming from real supporters. That's the part that I think a lot of people are going to have questions about, which is to say, yes, there might be uh, some Russian influence. Mm -hmm. You know, we actually don't know based on the reporting what form this inter interference is Right. Is, is it bots? Right is now? it on Twitter? We, is so it, we don't have an yeah. answer to that question. Bernie Sanders and his campaign seem to think that it's he's it's pushing negativity on the Internet. But at the same time, there's real life negativity that's happening from his supporters that the Sanders campaign has not wanted to address on New Hampshire election night. Uh, when another candidate came up on the screen and was giving their their election speech, Pete Buttigieg, the Bernie supporters in the room were booing, yeah. uh, were, were chanting Wall Street Pete and similar About things Pete happened Buttigieg, at yeah. an event uh, a couple of nights before. So there are some real life things and then there are some things on the Internet. And I think that uh, that both need to be addressed and not just attributed and solely to Russian meddling in the 2020 election. One of the things that's interesting, Alexander, is um, the Russians exploit divisions in America, but those divisions are already there. They were not created by Russia, whether it's racial divisions or right now the divisions in the Democratic uh, primary and the party about who's going to get the nomination. I mean, whether or not the Russians are involved, this is, these next few months are going to be tense. Yeah, and I think it is absolutely critical for both moderates and progressives not to take the bait here. I think that Bernie Sanders is absolutely right that uh, that you know there's going to be not just uh, I think Russians, but obviously the Republican Party, Donald Trump, who want to sow division in uh, the Democratic Party, but also in our government to continue to make people not believe that it's actually going to fix and that they are going to be the saviors. And so I think that it's absolutely critical uh, that we do operate in, in good faith here. I think that Bernie, we should take Bernie Sanders at his word. And I think that the other thing that's really important to acknowledge here is that, again, like it, you know, we have in the midst of someone that is spending $464 million, billion, million dollars to purchase the presidency uh, and continue to pitch themselves on the Democratic ticket as I'm also the billionaire savior that's going to help government, that it is really, really critical that as a Democratic Party that represents uh, the working class of this country, or as it's supposed to, that we're focused on that. Um, what do you think, Donald Trump? I think the Democrats should just nominate a moderate who could defeat Donald Trump, and I agree they should do so with courteous, treating the progressives courteously, but not, not yielding to that. That's my recommendation to my Democratic as a, friends. As a, as a Republican. Yeah. Uh, uh, Sabrina, I mean, one of the things that's interesting, though, is that you have the Sanders campaign coming out, acknowledging this, saying it's true. He doesn't want it. Again, this is, these, are, these are statements that President Trump has never made. Butt out, Putin. I don't want your support. I, you know, I'm going to, as president, I'm going to stop it. And so he, he he's publicly welcomed uh, that support. And look, volume one of the Mueller report, the Trump campaign welcomed help from the Russians, even if the evidence was insufficient to establish a criminal conspiracy between the Trump campaign and Moscow. 
the Trump campaign did understand that they stood to benefit electorally from that Russian interference. I think with respect to Bernie Sanders, also in the Mueller report, in 2016, the Russians did use social media to try and sow discord between supporters of Bernie Sanders and supporters of Hillary Clinton in what was ultimately an effort to hurt Hillary Clinton. That could well be what they're trying to do again, but with the rest of the very crowded Democratic field. Yeah, so be wary about what you read on Facebook and Twitter. Unless you know who is sending it, it might be somebody trying to sow this exact kind of discord. Tune into CNN Monday night to hear more from the presidential candidates. Michael Bloomberg will join us in Charleston, South Carolina, for his first CNN presidential town hall. He'll be followed by Democratic frontrunner Senator Bernie Sanders. It all starts at 8 p.m. Eastern on Monday. And then we're going to hear from four more presidential candidates in another night of town halls on Wednesday evening. Coming up, John McCain's unprecedented transparency and how frontrunner Bernie Sanders is not following in his footsteps on one issue. Stay with us. Welcome back. Democratic frontrunner Bernie Sanders told reporters after his heart attack last fall that he would release his, quote, comprehensive medical records. He said to our own chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, that he would soon make, quote, all of our medical records public for you or anybody else who wants to see them, unquote. After all, if elected, Sanders, who is 78, would be the oldest American president ever elected. But since those pledges, Sanders has backtracked. He will not provide all of his medical records, he said earlier this week. So what has he provided? Here's Sanjay. Last October, I visited Senator Bernie Sanders at his home in Vermont shortly after he had a heart attack. Sanjay, the God's truth is that if you're sitting there and you said, Bernie, did you have a heart attack last week? I'd say, what are you talking about? I feel great. Within a month, the 78-year-old Sanders was back to doing three to four events a day on the campaign trail. But his heart attack did amplify concerns voters may have already had. An NBC News Wall Street Journal poll from this month found that while 39% of registered voters are comfortable with a candidate who has had a heart attack in the past year, 57% of voters have reservations. People do have a right to know about the health of a senator and somebody's running for president of the United States. Full, full disclosure. And we will make, it, at the appropriate time, all of our medical records uh, public for you or for anybody else who wants to see them. Obviously, you're doing this interview with me. It's a fair conversation to be having about health, about Of course age, it is. All of Absolutely. Instead, in December, his campaign released these three letters, including one from Dr. Brian Monahan, the attending physician of the U.S. Congress, who has treated Sanders for the past 29 years. He wrote, you are in good health currently, and you have been engaging vigorously in the rigors of your campaign, travel, and other scheduled activities without any limitation. Monahan noted that since his heart attack, Sanders' heart function had improved enough so that he could stop using some of the medications he was initially prescribed. Sanders' current daily medications include ones for cholesterol, thyroid, and blood pressure, as well as aspirin and blood thinners. The two other letters were from his treating cardiologists. His doctors also said that Sanders' heart function is comparable, if not better, to men his age. Now, most experts say a full release of medical records wouldn't necessarily shed more light on his health. But one test result could help. The ejection fraction. That's the amount of blood pumped from the chamber with each contraction. It's a measure of the function of the heart. In 2008, then-presidential candidate Senator John McCain invited me and several other reporters to evaluate eight years' worth of medical records for several hours. But that has been the exception and not the rule. And Sanders told CNN at Tuesday's town hall 
What he released, he believes, is enough. We have released, I I think, Anderson, quite as much as any other candidate has. I'm comfortable with what we have done. Just to be clear, you don't plan to release any more records? I don't. I don't think we will, no. And, uh, Jake, it's worth pointing out, most people know that these medical records are uh, protected by something known as HIPAA. That's an act to, to provide medical privacy to people, to anybody, regardless of whether you're not running for president or not. And also these letters, uh, Jake, you know, when you look at the letters, we're, we're reporting on the letters, obviously, but also who wrote the letter. Uh, we find out about that person. In this case, Dr. Monahan. also, he's been taking care of Sanders for nearly 30 years. So these are factors we take into consideration as well, Jake. All right, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, thank you so much. Appreciate it. It could be the first step in trying to end America's longest war. That's next. We are back with the world lead. The U.S. and the Taliban have agreed to a week-long reduction in violence, effective midnight Kabul time, which is a few hours ago. The hope, of course, is for an eventual long-term peace deal. But as CNN's Barbara Starr reports from the Pentagon, there is skepticism as to whether this partial ceasefire could actually bring an end to America's longest war. It's the first but fragile step towards ending America's longest war, the war in Afghanistan. If the deal to reduce violence between the Taliban and the United States works, the parties will sign a more permanent peace agreement for Afghanistan next Saturday. It also gives President Trump a talking point for the campaign trail. Earlier this week, he made the case that the deal is better than any alternative. We could win that very quickly and easily If I was willing to kill millions of people, I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to do that. Significantly, this is not being called a ceasefire. It is almost certainly not the end of violence. I don't think at this point we should trust the Taliban. They continue to uh, uh, fight uh, the Afghan government, fight the United States. And the Taliban leaders negotiating with the U.S. may not even be able to control the thousands of their fighters still in the field. If there are suicide or IED attacks, General Scott Miller, the head of U.S. and NATO forces, has to quickly determine if the Taliban are responsible. There are still major hurdles to any permanent deal. One of the biggest being the Taliban, which once shielded Osama bin Laden, wants all U.S. forces out of Afghanistan, something the Pentagon is not ready to do. Nobody's right now calling for the complete removal of U.S. and coalition forces. Uh, U.S. forces will remain there as long as necessary to support our Afghan partners. The Pentagon expects to initially reduce troop levels from approximately 12,000 to 8,600. Enough firepower, it says, to suppress terrorist groups and fight remnants of al-Qaeda and ISIS. Now, the people of Afghanistan certainly have paid a huge price in these years, these decades of war, but so have American troops. More than 2,000 killed in this war, more than 20,000 wounded. Jake? We can hope and pray for peace. Barbara Starr, thank you so much. Be sure to tune in this Sunday morning to State of the Union. It's at 9 a.m. at noon Eastern on Sunday. We'll have all the results from the Nevada caucuses tomorrow. You can follow me on Facebook or on Instagram or on Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Have a fantastic weekend. I will see you Sunday morning. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. 
Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.